Okay, brethren, we are blessed to have our second message for today uh, by our elder, uh, Barnabas Grayson, entitled, Enemy of Faith, Part 2. Good afternoon. <clears throat> the Enemy of Faith, Part 2. We started out last time in Matthew chapter 13 uh, with the parable of the sower. I don't intend to go over everything that was covered the last sermon. But uh, we know that Jesus spoke many things in parables. Stories that illustrate some spiritual truth that not everyone understood. In fact, very few understood. And he told about this one sower who went out to plant his field, crops in his field. And, and in Matthew chapter 13... It, uh, verse 4 the sower he sowed some seeds some of them fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up before they were ever had ever had a chance to grow and become fruitful it was devoured now we know that the seeds represent the word of God and the point of this parable is how the word of God sometimes is swallowed up by other interests. And so that that seed is not uh, taken into good soil and allowed to grow. We also see in verse 5 that some fell in stony places. For they had not much earth, not much soil. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Then when the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root. They withered away. And so sometimes when you look at the word of God. You can see how some things come along. Can't stand the heat or whatever. The heat of a trial. They're scorched and they wither away. So we see sometimes that the soil is hard packed. Just as some hearers of the good word have resistance to it. So whatever faith and belief they had in the word was just uh, shallow. The roots didn't go very deep. And when trials and temptations came along, the word was forgotten, not used. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns. And thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. So we look at ourselves, I suppose, as, one, as that seed falling into good ground. And then we look at how much increase some of these who took the word of God, let it grow, how they increased. Some a hundredfold and, and some thirtyfold. And he says, who has ears to hear, let him hear this. Let him try to understand what he's hearing. So the disciples came. They said to him, well, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, said unto them, because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not given. For this people, we drop down to verse 15. For this people's heart is wax gross. Or wa it's wax heavy. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes. And 
hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. They understand, they see what Christ is getting at in, in this parable. Now we know that Jesus chose his disciples. He became their personal teacher. And he was preparing them with the word to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of salvation, of repentance. And also what they would be up against when they spread that word teaching the people the things of Christ, the things that he taught them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Verily I say unto you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see. What are those things that we see as we have come in to understand the word of truth, the word of God, to be a part of God's uh, fellowship, the household of faith? Many righteous prophets and men have desired to see those things which you see. And have not seen them. And to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, doesn't understand it. Then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sowed in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So we see that the enemy of faith is the wicked one. Because he inserts doubt and he inserts a lack of belief in the word of God. And he makes people see the word of God perhaps as foolish, perhaps as useless. And there are some who see religion. And I've heard this many, many times way back in the past that some see religion as a crutch something to lean on because they have nothing else that's all they have so verse 20 but he that received the seed in the stony place is the same as he that hears the word and anon or at once with joy he receives it we can look back into the time when we first heard the word of God and many of us it took time for it to sink in for it to grow and then some all of a sudden the light was lit and we accepted it all at once. Yes, this is the truth. This is the word of God. Yet, has he no root in himself? Doesn't have the, the wherewithal, the commitment to take what he learns or hears. He endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. For when uh, and, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the words, understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So here we see that when one understands and accepts the word of God that he hears, they use it to bear fruit in their life in varying degrees. They are the ones who are truly converted, the ones who have committed their lives to, uh, to living in the Lord. And 
however, as we mentioned, the wicked one comes along and he takes away what they understand, what they have heard. So the enemy of faith, he's always around to change one's attitude, to change one's feeling, to change one's heart and mind from Christ to carnal thinking and, and material lust that impede spiritual growth. There are other such things that come along, like maybe uh, differences in doctrine and that cause doubt, that cause confusion from time to time. And so we see that doubt is also a tool of Satan, the devil. So are lies and so are deceptions. Because Satan, we know, in Scripture, it says that he is the prince of the power of the air. He transmits wicked and rebellious thoughts through you know, various means, through various media, to influence the thinking of, of people, to cause them to err. He's the unseen prince of the power of the air. In Revelation 12, 9, it says that uh, where the dra great dragon was cast out, you know, this is Satan, the devil, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we look around in our society today, we see a lot of things that are going wrong in our world. People dying every day through violence and through other pogroms. People who are suffering. I saw on uh, the internet where, I forgot what country it is, but it's, uh, I think maybe Afghanistan, where uh, the people, for the children, where families are just living in makeshift dwellings. And small children. And when I saw these uh, children, uh, I thought of uh, my own, if they were my own grandkids or my own children who are small, having to endure something like that from day to day, it really does make you long for the kingdom of God to come and take care of all these things that are troubling mankind. And it's kind of a, a sickening feeling. Breaks your heart in a way to see, to know that there are people who are suffering like that. <clears throat> so this great dragon was cast out. That's why we have so much of these bad happenings going on in the world. In 2 Corinthians, it says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know, we, uh, Christ said that in the last days, many false prophets shall come and shall deceive many and to take heed so therefore it is no great thing that if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works in revelation 12 12 it says therefore rejoice you heavens and you that dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time left because he's a tempter, he's an accuser, he's a deceiver. Having great wrath, great anger because he has a short time left. And of 
course, we'll always wonder, well, how short is that time? How long is it going to be before he is taken out of the way? So we're to always be on guard. To be aware of things that are happening so that we don't fall into the trap of lawlessness and the way human nature is going on in our world today. Because there are things that seem right in the eyes of man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, verse 12, also 16 and, uh, chapter 16 and 25, it says that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So we put confidence in the word of God to show us the right way. And so we should watch and pray. What Christ told us to do, Matthew chapter 26, 41, he said, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now in 1 John chapter 4, it says to believe not, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby, or here's how you know, the Spirit of God, every person that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. A couple of days ago, I, was, I went to... Uh, Driving along the road and uh, saw a sign that said estate sales. I can't fasten up much like I, uh, well, always, you know, follow the sign. And so I didn't see anything there that, you know, when you go to these estate sales, there's a lot of things that you already have. But it's always interesting sometimes to see how other people, you know, uh, what they bought in their life. And they're just now getting rid of it. And, and so sometimes I buy them up and... <laughs> Knowing that someday, stuff that I have is going to be up for an estate sale. And anyway, uh, I found this booklet, and uh, it was a little track that Oral Roberts had written. And uh, didn't have a price on it, so I went to the, the man that was there and uh, asked him how much he wanted for it. It was just a small booklet. It wasn't even open, I don't think, because the pages were still pretty fresh. And he looked at me, and, and he... And, uh, he said, he said uh, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And which kind of took me by surprise. And of course I did. I said, yes, I do. Uh, do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes, I do. You know. And so he kept asking me. Then he said, uh, well, this is yours. You can have it for free. So uh, this reminds me of sometimes, you know, when people ask you these things. You know, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. But we know that Jesus Christ did come in the flesh. And some don't believe that. But you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. One of the promises and one of the things we place our faith in is this statement that greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. So Satan is doing what he can and is allowed to do to bring chaos into families and into nations and other peoples around the world today. And he also affects people in the church with various ideologies and things that are contrary to unity and so on. I think we can look at our church here as an extended family. And my grandson, <laughs> you can wake him up over there in case. <laughs> uh, he said one time that, uh, that he feels like a regular now. And uh, he said he always likes to sit in the same spot. And when we get here in the parking lot, he hopes, you know, it's, it's, our places aren't taken. I think Mr. Gill had the right idea. He put, he, you know, his pillow is still there. And nobody sits there, so. Reminds me of him and Shirley. But we are an extended family. When one person is having trouble or trial in their life, when there is sickness, you know, we, we, we have each week, uh, you know, a little time to pray for them. And not only then, but also times throughout the week that we remember their names in our prayers. So we are an extended family, but you know, Satan sees that, and he would like to divide that in some way if he, if he possibly can. So Satan's doing what he can because he is the enemy of faith, and he can cause division. And he brings about temptations that can take our eyes off of the word of God and the kingdom of God. And so we have trials that test our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verses 6 through 9. From the last time in part 1, we, we saw where Peter said this about uh, concerning trials. He said, verse 6, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You know, temptations of different kinds. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we have not seen Christ. We have not seen God we know that Jesus, that Christ, that God is unseen. No one has seen him. But Christ came to manifest God in the flesh. And he said that at one time that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So in every book of the uh, Old Testament and in the New Testament, 
we see Jesus identified in every one of them because he was manifested in, in human form. Might insert this scriptural reference to First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, let's see, chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. As speaking of Jesus Christ, who is manifested in the flesh of the unseen, of the unseen God. Having, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So these trials that are not joyous, but it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to them who are exercised, who are... Who are uh, who are exercised by whatever trial or temptation it is. So in part one, we saw from the word of God that no trial is ever joyous, that God will not, will not tempt us above what we're able to endure, and that with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape, and that all things work together to them that love fear God. So... As long as we remember those words and have faith in these words from the sower, the parable of the sower, who is, which is Jesus Christ, who has planted his words into our lives and our hearts and minds, we can overcome the enemy of faith, that of the wicked one, that of doubt, that of fear, and other things that might turn us away. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I know the last time we talked about this being a refining process, trials being a refining process, you know, where precious metal is dug out of the earthly ground and uh, to present pure silver or pure gold, that in the end they have a purpose. That through it, though it may not be understood, why a trial comes along or what, what it is we learn from the trial, there is a purpose, a purpose that refines us. The psalmist wrote in chapter 66 and verse 10, he said, For you, O God, have proved us. You have tried us as silver is tried. The Apostle Paul <clears throat> said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace with God. And that's through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. You know, patience toward everything. Patience toward everything that God has promised. Promise toward the coming resurrection. Patience waiting for it. And patience waiting for our salvation. And patience, in many cases, for our healing. Verse 4. Patience, add to patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit is given unto us. So we also in the previous sermon we looked at the trial of Job. Didn't go through all of that. It's a very exhaustive uh, book. But we know that he endured more than what many of us would not like to have to go through. But God, in, when we look at this story, we, we, know, we realize that God knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what we can or can't handle. And he will not test us above what we are able. And he will provide an escape. Now we know also, and I know also, that there are some here who have endured much pain and sorrow in their life. And they have kind of an inkling and an idea of what Job must have gone through. But let's look again at this trial of Job. Won't spend a whole lot of time in it. But in chapter 1, a couple of verses there, 6 through 8. I think this is where I, I cut short this particular part of the sermon the last time. Verse 1, uh, we see that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Verse 7 the Lord said unto Satan whence come you? And Satan answered the Lord and said from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him in the earth a perfect and an upright man one that fears God and escheweth evil. So the wicked one we see is after those who fear God and who in their life are trying to avoid evil. He's the enemy of faith and he wants to disrupt the faith of believers because he's walking about as a, as, as a lion seeking whom he might devour. So when we grow weak from lack of prayer or Bible study or fellowship or doing those things, Living in the word of God. The seed that was planted into our life. Through the giving of God's Holy Spirit. Can. Falter. If we, if we, if we don't sit close to it. Makes us weak. Now in Job chapter 1 again. Verse 20. We see where the wicked one caused Job. To lose his material goods. Even the lives of his. Of his. Uh, children. Everything that he owned. Verse 20. Then Job arose. And rent his mantle. Shaved his head. Fell down on the ground. 
and worshipped. He worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job said not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't say anything bad about his circumstances or how God was mistreating him, maybe unfairly. So, Satan couldn't uh, cause Job to lose his faith. And so, once again, this wicked one, came, wicked one came along again at another time when the angels came to present themselves to the Lord. And in Job chapter 2, verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? A perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. And still he holds fast his integrity, although you move me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord, said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potter to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. And he said to his wife unto him, No, then said his wife to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, you, just, you can get, get out of all of this if you just curse God and die. But Job said unto her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall not and and shall we not receive the evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. So Job was tempted to give up his faith, but he saw the purpose of his trial and he overcame and what he what he was shown also was that he had self righteousness that he thought enough of as equal with God's. Job chapter 31, verse 21, we see where Job speaks of his own integrity and his own innocence. He was being good. And in verse 21, it says, If I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder blade and my arm be broken from the bow. He's done everything good that he saw. But if he's done something wrong. Then uh, he was bold enough to say. Well let, let my arm fall off of my shoulder blade. But God showed him. That was wrong to think. Job chapter 38 verse 1. And I will, I'll use a good news translation on this one. And you can see where God's, uh, where he questions Job's ignorance. So out of the storm, the Lord spoke to Job. 
Job 38, chapter 2. Who are you to question my wisdom with your ignorant, empty words? Now, stand up straight and answer the questions I ask you. Were you there when I made the world? If you know so much, tell me about it. Who decided how large it would be? Who stretched the measuring line over it? Do you know all the answers? What holds up the pillars that support the earth? Who laid the cornerstone of the world? In the dawn of that day, the stars sang together and the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Who closed the gates to hold back the sea when it burst from the womb of the earth? It was I who covered the sea with clouds and wrapped it in darkness. It marked a boundary for the sea and kept it behind bolted gates. I told it, so far and no farther. Here your powerful waves must stop. Job, have you ever in all your life commanded the day to dawn? Have you ordered the dawn to seize the earth and shake the wicked from their hiding places? Daylight makes the hills and valleys stand out like the folds of a garment, clear as the imprint of a seal on clay. So Job finally realized his self-righteous thinking. And he realized his mortality. And he realized his weakness and that he was but a man. He said, in Job 42, 6, he said, I abhor myself and I therefore repent in dust and ashes. So Job was refined but he had enough patience to endure. James chapter 5. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord. For an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. So here they were, the uh, patriarchs, the, the, the prophets of old, planning trying to get across to the people the seed, the word of God, but they were examples of suffering affliction because of it, also of patience. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, or the eternal, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, Swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we don't overcome by our own strength or by our own wisdom. But like the Lord said under Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That's how we overcome. 
It's the Holy Spirit that saves us. The essentials. The essentials of faith like hope. And charity. Faith. Mark chapter 11. Remember this from a. Uh, from a time that the disciples and Jesus were passing by. Uh, they saw this big tree. Jesus went over to see if it had any fruit on it. To pick one. But it wasn't bearing any fruit. When it should have. And so he cursed the tree. And. So they went on about their business and the next time they were passing by it, verse 20, in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remember said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be you removed and be you cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and you shall have them. In a way, this is a somber saying because it's about growing in the fruits of the Spirit or else become dried up for not having faith in God and in his word uh, Luke chapter 12 he said unto his disciples in verse 22 therefore I say unto you take no thought for your life what you shall eat neither for the body what you shall put on the life is more than meat more than food and the body is more than raiment consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap which neither have storehouses nor barn and God feeds them how much more are you better than the fowls and which of you with, with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit if you then be not able to do that which is least why take you thought for the rest consider the lilies how they grow they toil not they spin not and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these and if then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Seek you not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be you doubt of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So in Ephesians chapter 6, we see that it is about fighting the good fight of faith against the enemy of faith. Verse 10, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we see we're about, you know, putting on the whole armor of God to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. 
So take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Have your loins girded about with truth. Have on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all taking the shield of faith. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer. And supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance. And supplication for all saints. So we put on these things. To ward off the enemy of faith. Finally in Mark chapter 9. Verse to go to the pages of the Bible for this one here for part of it uh, Mark chapter 9 and verse 14 Uh, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around him. And the scribes were questioning with them. They were debating with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed. And running to him, they saluted him. And he asked, with, asked the scribes, what are you questioning them about? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which has a dumb spirit. And where, wheresoever he takes him, he tears him and he foams and he gnashes with his teeth and pines away and I speak to your disciples and I spoke to your disciples and they that they should cast him out they couldn't. He answered him and said O faithless generation how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him and when he saw him straightway the spirit tore him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foamy. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came upon him? And he said, Of a child, since he was a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears. Lord I believe. Help you my unbelief. Help you my unbelief. So we see that the father prayed for his son to be healed. And he asked Jesus to have compassion on him. On both of them. And cast out this destructive spirit. That was tormenting the child. And at first we read where the father. Used that word if. As though he held some doubt about. 
about asking Jesus for his compassion and help. Saying, you know, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so Jesus said to him, he said, well, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And the father cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me, in other words, have more faith. Because as sometimes as we go in life, not having a healing come right away to us, or having some answer to our prayer come to us, there are ups and downs in our faith. You know, we're not supposed to have uh, faith that comes and goes. And so the father was saying, help my unbelief. Whenever that unbelief comes along, help me to be strengthened with faith. Help, you know, help me to uh, hold on with patience and endurance. And so when the spirit saw Jesus, that the, that it, the demon took control of the boy again, fell to the ground, and Jesus rebuked the spirit, and it came out of him, and he was completely well. And so these disciples, well, they asked Jesus, uh, why couldn't we cast out the spirit themselves? And he said to them, this kind of thing takes much prayer, and also fasting, which some other manuscripts say in addition to prayer. But the point is this. In any trial that is serious and seems insurmountable, we look to Jesus. We look to God and pray and have faith. To not have any doubt or faithlessness. To not let the enemy of faith intercede in, our, in, in what we believe. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, re believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Maybe in this life, it could be in the life to come. It's all according to the will of God. Remember in Mark 11 where, where it says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be you removed, be cast into the sea, or did this, uh, this tree to be removed? You believe? It, it will come to pass. And it's probably more to our desire that we don't really want to move a tree or a mountain. Sometimes it's just those little things in life that annoy us, that get to us, that we want removed. So, in conclusion, there's a time coming when Jesus Christ returns. And the scripture asks, when, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? And he will find faith as long as we use the armor of God, take the words of the Lord our God to our heart, and look to that day with confidence because God has given us the mysteries to the kingdom of heaven. So let us grow in grace and in knowledge of Christ.